Welcome back to the Casey Adams Show. Today, I am joined by Derek from More Plates, More Dates. Derek, thank you so much for coming on the show, brother. No, thanks for having me, dude. I know we've been uh, looking to make this happen for a while now, so super excited to dive in. Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time coming. Absolutely. And, you know, for for context, we met, I think, like a year and a half ago. Um, we met initially just through mutual friends, and you were an investor in Media Kits, and just Seeing not only seeing your journey, but just getting immersed in your content over the years, it's I've been so fascinated with not only what you talk about in your journey, but just to get to know you as a friend. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited to dive in today. And for people that may not know from a business perspective, where you spend your time, the companies you build, I would love for you to just give a high level of where you spend your time and you know what you are building. Yeah. So my main areas of time investment essentially at this point are. Gorilla Mind, which is my dietary supplements company that focuses around pre-workout formulations, nootropics, um, anything performance related, but also health optimization. Um, we're kind of stemming into a bunch of different verticals now, but kind of like the supplements realm. And then uh, Merrick Health is my preventative medicine platform. It's a telemedicine platform that I get people elaborate diagnostics, which then they have medical oversight to then interpret those diagnostics and make educated assessments for making informed conclusions for what to do moving forward with their health optimization practices, whether it be lifestyle intervention changes, dietary manipulation, sleep hygiene improvements, or pharmacology uh, medications or supplements when warranted. Um, it's kind of like turnkey concierge level healthcare is the kind of outlook of it. And then in addition to that, a smaller scale company called Intelligent Shop, which is kind of like miscellaneous products, and it will okay. uh, stem into other verticals in the future. Very cool, very exciting, and there, there's so much to dive into within all of them. And and I, I really just want to start with where did this journey begin of health and wellness, and you know, body optimization. I know that just before we were getting rolling here, I was telling you like the past year and a half, I've I've been getting super deep into, you know, I got, I got a cold plunge outside in terms of optimization, sleep data. They got the eight sleep bed, the aura ring and, you know, ran my first marathon in December. And I've just been really getting health conscious and just optim optimizing in my eyes, like, you know, just taking those initial steps mm -hmm. for you in this journey and your YouTube channel initially, where did this all begin for you? Yeah. So I guess it probably stemmed from way back in teenagehood when I started working out and getting, it's kind of like called getting bit by the iron bug is when you get like <laughs> addicted to the, you know, the progress you're seeing in the gym yep. and the newbie gains and really enjoyed the process and started to get into the realm of seeing what went on in, in the enhanced bodybuilding side of things, which led me down rabbit holes of exploring pharmacology, like the research of how steroids work and interact with the body and how people are using it to gain, you know, exorbitant amounts of muscle, improve their performance, et cetera. And then down the line, that led me to realize, and it's kind of like, I don't know, cart before the horse sort of thing, learning about the side effects they cause and how problematic they can be. And then working backwards, I kind of became more enthralled with the idea of optimization, but encompassing broad spectrum health as well, as opposed to just like cranking your body hard and redlining it, which is what I did from, I don't know, age 20 to like 24, maybe, or something oh. like that. So, and then after that, I started to look into, you know, cognitive health. Also uh, got kind of more longevity and not anti-aging, but more like stuff that is conducive to 
staying alive and not just yeah. killing yourself sooner <laughs> in pursuit of like a crazy, you know, exorbitant physique kind of thing. So for me, it's been stemming from bodybuilding, which then transitioned into a whole bunch of different rabbit holes of how do I, I don't know, maintain a good body composition while also, you know, optimizing my cognitive health while also dialing my macro and micronutrient intake while dialing in my sleep. And it just, all these things have overlap with each other. And it kind of led me to becoming a, I don't know, I'm kind of like a nerd at heart. So <laughs> that's kind of like how I got to where I am and just a lot of reading online. Yeah, no, yeah. it's, it's, it's so cool to see. And, you know, for people in it, even someone like myself, like the past year getting, going into these rabbit holes, there's so much to learn. And, you know, hearing you talk about certain topics and concepts, people kind of may be overwhelmed. It's like, well, okay, where do I, where do I begin? What, where do I start? And I, I'm curious, like, what does your daily routine habits look like when it comes to an optimization standpoint, just so people can get like a tangible understanding of, you know, someone that has so much knowledge in this space that strives to optimize in so many areas of their life. Like what does your, you know, schedule look like, especially when you're traveling, you're in LA, like there's, there's so many things that I'm sure people are curious about that I'd love to just take for what it is in terms of the simplistic of just habits and daily routines. Yeah. When I wake up, Typically, I try to do my best to get eight hours of high quality sleep. And that is what I would always preach in general. Um, and again, it's always, I don't always practice what I preach, unfortunately, but I try to <laughs> the best yeah. I can. But on my ideal day, it would be eight hours of high quality sleep. I would wake up, um, probably stand on my porch and look out at the sun, get some sunlight in my eyes for five, 10 minutes or so, um, and kind of just get awake and let my kind of like cortisol rise and get me kind of redlined or get ready for the day. Um, as far as how that day starts in general, I used to, I've tried working out earlier in the day. I've tried working out later in the day. I've tried a bunch of different stuff. And some people, again, there's no one size fits all for when you should work out. Some people, yeah. they feel great after they work out and they want to continue. Like they ride that endorphin high into like their actual heavy mental work. For me, yeah. when I lift heavy and I train to failure, I am cognitively taxed and my body is taxed. <laughs> so I don't feel like sitting on a computer and grinding out work after. So I typically save it for later in the day, but that is, you know, highly variable person to person. But for me, typically it's don't eat anything, wake up, look at the sun for 10 minutes, sit down and <laughs> crank work for like eight hours straight. Like that is my, that is my day typically. And for me, intermittent fasting is a massive impact on my mental sharpness, clarity, um, I don't know, cognitive flexibility. Like for me, that's the biggest needle mover as far as having mm. a extended duration of mental sharpness throughout, you know, skewing, going past just the morning and further through the afternoon. If I eat a really heavy carb dense meal, for example, or I go train to me, that kind of derails my mental sharpness a little bit. So Got I it. try to extend that window out as far as I can. And that is like the main practice that is consistent, at least for me. And then after that, I typically just put out any fires that have come up overnight because oftentimes when you're running multiple businesses, there'll be yeah. little things that pop up that weren't on your to-do list on the night prior, but are now on your to-do list because you just have no yeah. alternative <laughs> but to yeah. immediately address those. Yeah, put them out. Yeah, and then it'll be kind of just going through a task list that I've uh, set up for myself the previous night. Like for me, uh, goals on like a micro scale, as much as everyone has big, large, grand scale goals for me, if I don't actually map out my day the day before, it's very difficult to stay on task because my yeah. brain is just going a million miles a minute. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, for me, I literally just lock myself in my office, which is a very 
boring setting, but it's me staring at a wall. If I am, have a nice view or something, I get distracted, but yeah. I just have my task list. Literally this hour to this hour, you have to do this. This hour to this hour, you have to do this. And it's just broken down by micro tasks throughout mm. the day, even down to when I start eating. And maybe that sounds insane, but yeah. for me, it's just kind of how I've dialed in. And then after I've worked probably like eight hours in general, I will uh, eat, which is my first meal. Um, after that, I will try and do a 10 minute walk, which is kind of good for like blood, glu- blood glucose control and like uh, getting them back to a um, set point that is, I would say healthier and helps uh, nutrient assimilation. Like it's just a good practice to keep getting your steps in. And I try to, yeah. I try to get as close to 10,000 a day. I'm not always the best at it, yeah. but ideally I would. And then work until it's time to go to the gym. Typically gym work, you know, <laughs> train as hard as I can. Yeah. Then after that dinner kind of wind down and, um, yeah, from there, you know, start, uh, I have some like, you know, sleep transition principles that I think kind of most people are probably aware of, like try yeah. and avoid blue light, you know, um, avoid stuff that's going to stress you out super late. Yeah. Um, try and not eat too close to my sleep time. Cause I can elevate your body temperature and be problematic for trying to get to sleep. It's kind of like some of the stuff has some overlap where I'm not like super dialed every day, but yeah. I do the best I can. And that's kind of like an overarching bird's eye view of my day as <laughs> elaborate sure. as that might've sounded. No, no. I mean, it's, it's good to even just hear that, right? Cause you, you hear all these different concepts and things and for you to test all these different theories and concepts to then have just the simplistic understanding of what your day looks like. Like I learned something in that and I hope others did as well. Um, when it comes to the business of what you've built, you know, multiple businesses in this idea of health and optimization, what was the first business that you started? Was it prior to social media? Did social media spark the initial idea to, to get into the business world? I know you went to college and studied marketing and business and like, where did this drive for entrepreneurship and the, you know, the willingness and just uh, the entrepreneur drive, like where did that stem from? It's tough because I think sometimes there is a brain chemistry component of it where some people are just wired a certain way for dopaminergic activity and are very, very stress resilient and thrive off of pressure and achievement, whereas some people are very content in their current environment. So it's not something you can, I don't think you can really like train. Maybe you can, but like to me, it was kind of inherent. Like I just kind of had it from the get go and It was not very focused though. Like when I got into starting online content, I had no conception about how an online business started Mm. or even the importance of content back at, it was like 2016. Yeah, It's funny because now people think, am I too late to start posting? Back then I was thinking that in 2016. Yeah, I used to think the same thing. Yeah, I was like, oh, look at all these big people on YouTube. There's (laughs) no no point. That's what I I thought at the time. Um, But yeah, for me, it was... uh, just baby stepping my way through like affiliate marketing was the first kind of taste of success I had where it was like, wow, my influence is impactful on converting people to use something that I otherwise already use. And I can get monetarily incentivized and compensated for telling people to use the same thing I already use. Like, yeah. And like, yeah. And like helping them find something that I deem to be a good product. So from there I had reasonable success, I would say from a, um, making money online standpoint and it kind of, as you accumulate some level of, I don't know, financial independence, you can kind of translate that in terms of if you have a business idea, now you actually have the flexibility to put something down as to start, you know, get some basic inventory or, you know, yeah. buy, buy a new domain or hosting or whatever it is. And like, yeah. there, 
So for me, it was uh, kind of just trial by error and going as I go and learning as I go, but there was no blueprint. I think that's one of the scariest things is people don't have a blueprint, so they don't want to start. And I'm very, again, like I mentioned at the beginning, task-oriented, so I need like yeah. a step-by-step <laughs> of my day at 8 a.m. is this to this, and then from there, I go from this to this. But in business school, I got a marketing degree at a reasonably prestigious university, and I learned nothing that was relevant in any capacity <laughs> to what I do now. Yeah. There was no... Uh, education about how to start a business or what the steps are, nothing of the sort. So it was yeah. uh, wrapping your head around it when you haven't started can be overwhelming, yep. but it's just taking the first steps is uh, all you can really do. So for me, it was, I guess, even though inherently I had some of that chemistry, brain chemistry, it was still like a learning process to wire myself to get to where I am. Yeah. No, I yeah. mean, very cool. And just for context too, I, I didn't go to college and this whole idea of business and social media and marketing, I not only learned through doing, but the, the quality of mentors and the people that you associate with, right? Like for me having this podcast for five years now, since I was 17, like has been in my opinion, truthfully, like my school of business, the conversations, the questions, like what I've learned, the experiences. And, you know, a lot of people that I've had on the show were then investors and media kits through building those relationships and just by you know, connecting with a lot of people uh, genuinely. I- I'm curious to know for you, when you talk about college and how it maybe wasn't impactful for you, who were some people or, or mentors or just people that you looked up to in a sense, maybe that were inspirations for you early on in your career? And maybe there's no, no one, but I- I'm just curious if there's anyone in particular. Yeah. So Chris Diotis is my current business partner and he kind of, I think as much as I say, I had no blueprint, he sort of paved the way for what a gym bro could do online, I guess. <laughs> and I was uh, like a fanatic uh, follower of his brand and his blog because he back then writing articles was actually a big deal and being <laughs> like ranked on SEO terms actually mattered for yep. certain things. And I would follow his stuff religiously about, uh, you know, self-improvement in general. A lot of it was uh, so- social related, like exposure therapy to get over your anxiety of talking to women and stuff like that. And also, he had a lot of good gym and, I don't know, body optimization content and whatnot. And I had seen him achieve what I deemed to be, like, very financially independent success through his endeavors and start a few different businesses. And um, to me, that was a blueprint I could wrap my head around. Because, like, okay, this guy is a uh, similar interest to me. You know, he's a young guy who has these interests. And it stemmed off through talking about making content about stuff I was also directly interested in myself and felt like I was accumulating reasonably relevant experience on that I could impart yeah. on people that was valuable. I was like, okay, this is a blueprint. I can wrap my head around and made yeah. sense. And when you're, you know, just starting out being an affiliate is uh, like, you don't have to, there's no risk yeah. really. So it was, uh, yeah, that was kind of the, the only mentor slash blueprint I had really other than, you know, over the, over time though, you know, you talk to a lot of people and, pull and extrapolate what you can from it and assimilate it into whatever is relevant for your own journey. And I've had multiple mentors along the way, but from inception before I had any idea of what I was doing, that was probably the primary one. Got it. Uh, I'm curious, right? Like you've even speaking today, you've been in on not only so many podcasts, but many influential shows such as Joe Rogan, when it comes to, you know, getting eyeballs and you getting attention coming back to just, what happened in December, Liver King. I know you've gone super in-depth on this and other shows, so there's no need to go crazy in-depth here. But when it comes to just this idea of attention, you've you've had so much attention on you over the years, 
And I'm curious to just understand the attention or maybe lack of years prior when you were just getting started to the the business growth and how you've seen that firsthand in terms of your personal brand to, you know, brand and company relationship. I'm just curious about what you think about that. And, you know, what's your advice to other founders that are not only looking to go build a personal brand, but like seeing you and the influence you have an individual. And I'm just curious to know the correlation of business growth to personal brand growth and just kind of provide people that blueprint because it's worked so well for you. And again, you have so much attention on you for, for great reason. That's tough to define <laughs> in any sort of practical application. Cause for me, I think the main thing that separates longevity in what you're doing is true passion for the subject matter. So if you're starting a business because you see financial opportunity, that's one thing. But if you're passionate about what you're selling service wise or product offering wise, that's another major underpinning of what will make you actually incentivized and motivated, not just from a monetary aspect, but from like a value proposition aspect for helping people above and beyond I'm making a profit. Like you actually feel the desire to go work in spite of the other stuff because you were already interested in it. So for me, that's been the major underpinnings of everything I do is because I actually like care about this stuff anyways and would otherwise do it for free in general. Like for me, I would dissect blood work or learn about optimization or do these things regardless if this company existed or not. So for me, it's something I'm highly passionate about and it is something I'm going to be able to continue for years to come without ever feeling like I'm stagnating or I'm burning out or anything. Like I'm just, for me, I, I can't imagine doing a business model that is solely surrounded around. I saw like financial upside. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense when it comes to, this idea of blood work. I, I've never had my blood work done. And I know that... Didn't we set you up with a panel? I, I, I know Kieran did. Oh, um, I got to get you one. Yeah, I haven't had one yet. And I'm curious, you know, someone who's 22, I've heard this from you and you've been a huge influence. And I was waiting to bring this up on, on the pod because I know I need to do that. And it's something I, I want to do to have that baseline of just longevity and understanding where I am currently. Like, what... What do you think when it comes to like someone who's 21, 22 years old, getting blood work and creating that baseline from a blood work perspective? Just what's your thoughts on that? Um, yeah. So in general, people that are in their young 20s, it's not like there is an immediate concern of or impending disease, hopefully, which is needs immediate addressing. So it's kind of it makes you wonder why would blood work be warranted for me if I could go back in time to being 21 I wish I had that elaborate baseline because when things go awry, it's the only way you can then go back and see, okay, this marker is thrown off or this is imbalanced or what have you based on previous to that when everything was dialed in, this is where it stood. And now in a suboptimal state or more interested in optimization, you see kind of where these variations and aberrations have happened and you start to educate yourself as to why. So for me, It's not something that I feel like is necessary from like an immediate practical application aspect as in you're going to, maybe it is. And this (laughs) is again, because some people they're so genetically predisposed to atherosclerosis, you might be able to pick it up at 21, 22 and actually be able to modulate your diet and lifestyle accordingly to attenuate that risk. Because some people they don't find out until they're 40, 50 and they have plaque buildup 
oh, for the last 20 years, if you knew that you had familial hypercholesterolemia, maybe you could have intervened accordingly. And if you needed medication, like you should have been on it for the last 20 years, that kind of stuff, as much as I would preach lifestyle is massively impactful, which it is, there are some things that ultimately genetics and predispositions, you can't really circumvent entirely through that. And that as much as, you know, the ancestrally consistent people and like the certain natural like lifestyle zealots will tell you otherwise, like, frankly, it's at the end of the day, you have to be open to all approaches. And for some people, they're so genetically predisposed that knowing at 20, you could have otherwise avoided a myriad of disaster or a significant disaster when you're, you know, in your later 40s, 50s, 60s. So for me, it's more about not how do I optimize my whatever, like, it's great to know that, but it's the lesser of important things. It's more about identifying if you have any unique risk factors at a young age and then to change, make the changes accordingly early before it manifests into like an actual problem. And then also just have that baseline. So then if something were to happen, you can go back and address accordingly and actually see what went wrong and why. I love that. I definitely need to make that happen and, and get it done. <laughs> yeah. um, what are your thoughts on not only just longevity, but when you think about longevity and with modern science, like what is what do you believe is possible from a life expectancy perspective over the next 50 years with modern science, modern just ways to optimize? Like, how do you think about that? And like, do you have, you know, like I want to live to X number and I believe I can do that through optimizing this way over a multi-decade perspective. Like, do you think about that? Absolutely. And the only thing for me on that is I want to live with high quality of life. I don't necessarily want to live just for the sake of it. So part of the problem is a lot of the anti-aging research is centered around how do I live in as frail and not vital state as possible to extend my lifespan? It's like, yeah, Yeah. a tiny Asian woman will outlive like a jacked, you know, six foot four guy just based on body composition and demands of organs. Like that's just how it's going to work. But there is a trade-off where it's, you know, how do you want to live during that lifespan too? So I am optimistic about some of the stuff going on and, you know, rodent models and whatnot. But unfortunately, I haven't seen like significant practical application in humans yet. Yeah. I do think that modern medicine is helping people extend their lifespans. And I think that people are becoming more educated about this stuff. And it's going to definitely be impactful for the certain minority of individuals who take it seriously. I don't really know what to expect as far as where the lifespan with high quality of yeah. life goes in the next, you know, 40 years from now or not. But I do know one of the most uh, just red flag risk factors is cardiovascular disease. And I think some of the education around it coming out is uh, going to be super impactful on those who care, attenuating and avoiding that outcome in the future. So there's certain things that are very manageable or more manageable if you're educated about about it well ahead of time. And it seems like a lot of people are very interested in actually learning and getting the context behind what's going on in their body now, which is great. Yep. Oh, that's very interesting perspective there. I, I wanted to go back to what you said at the beginning about your, your different businesses. Um, the third one, you said different types of products. Can you expand on that and just sure. remind the, remind myself, like what business is that? And just what is, where did that idea come from in terms of like what you wanted to become? So Intelligent Shop was meant to be a miscellaneous product brand that just encompassed anything that I used that wasn't dietary supplement related or 
actually fell into the realm of it has some overlap with some of the Marikel stuff, but not not medication related. Like basically hair loss prevention is a big component mm. of my channel and a lot of education surrounding that and the things I've learned over the years that move the needle and some of those products have been there's only so many things that work. It's like a very yeah. snake oil ridden industry. And for me, there were certain products that have been long standing needle movers for me and for others that I've recommended it for, again, as an affiliate too, over years. And people have been had amazing results with, and it got to the point where it was, you know, I should make my own product because yeah. this is stuff I've used for years and otherwise think is very, very useful. Yeah. And uh, so it's kind of just started with that. Like I came up with a hair loss prevention shampoo. And then from there we had, and this is already like a product that you're selling. Yeah. yeah. Got and, it. And then we had a fast drying, non oily minoxidil. One of the, it's like the only thing that stimulates new hair growth very significantly. Oh wow. Yeah. And it's one of the problems. Well, it's not, I guess it depends on your uh, hair when, type. But I, I'm curious, when does that, when does hair loss typically start happening in men specifically? Teenagehood. Teenagehood. Yeah. Like if you're genetically predisposed, as soon as you have that big spike in yeah. testosterone and DHT as you go through, literally the thing that pushes you through puberty is yeah. also the commencement of uh, androgenic yeah. alopecia, unfortunately. Got it. And th is that something that I'm, you've, I'm guessing you dealt with? Yeah. Yeah. And heavily. Moving, yeah. And like, walking that back and recovering is so much harder than yeah. preventing it. Yeah. So and you had, um, I remember I, I saw a video just in terms of acne, right? Skincare. Mm. Like that was something, I don't know if you've seen, I don't, I don't post about it too often, but I had very bad cystic acne, took Accutane, just did the whole thing, tried so many different things, took almost two years to, to go through that process. But how did, how did you end up solving that problem for yourself? Same thing, dude. Accutane. Accutane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wouldn't, I would say again, if I could go back in time, there are certain things I would look at before Accutane. Cause that's the literal nuclear bomb of yep. acne prevention. But again, similar to the genetic predisposition thing, as much as you would love to think there are natural things I could do to fix this. I can guarantee there's somebody watching this and maybe <laughs> yourself even where you tried a bunch of stuff and it Everything. didn't, and it didn't work. And then Accutane moved the needle. Yep. So, yeah. And maybe yeah. you deal with perpetually dry lips at this point, maybe similar to me, but yeah. you have no acne and it's improved <laughs> your quality of life, presumably. The, uh, 100%. Yeah. The, the dry lips lasted for a while. Nowadays, I don't notice it too often. Every now and then I'll have dry lips, but yeah. very infrequently, like, not too frequently. Considerably side effect ridden drug though. So be wary yeah, of that. Some I, people get, yeah. you know, it, it's not emotions. And yeah. The whole thing. It's not common necessarily for there to be, you know, side effects significantly worse than the brutal dry skin and chap lips. But some people do get pretty bad sides. So again, it's just being mindful of the pros and cons and you weigh it out yeah. accordingly. But yeah. Yeah. So these different products, right? Hair loss, hair prevention, um, into the future for that business, right? Like, I look at it like it's like you're vertically integrated all these products that you promote that have helped you that you want to help with now with the the experience of, you know, building companies, building products that then you just want to not only sell, but that have been impactful for you. What are other products that um, that you that you can speak about today that you're looking forward to with that business specifically? Okay. Yeah, this is something I never talk about. So this is cool. So <laughs> um cologne. This might sound absurd, but back when I started the channel, I was pretty big on 
fragrances. We were actually just talking about your creative events. It's two seconds. It, it all makes sense. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, for me, I used to get girls to rate fragrances. I would go around my university and different campuses and get girls to rate them. And just, uh, I was just pretty into it. Like there are fragrance connoisseurs who actually collect these things and have a different fragrance for different situations and whatnot. And I'm not like necessarily you know like a total they call it a frag head which is like uh <laughs> like a nerd about fragrances but i'm enamored enough by them that it has led me to have a pretty significant collection built up over the years and what does that mean because i'll tell you i have one uh fragrance creative ventus and you said the cliche one that means i got some work to do i have, <laughs> I have one so what does that mean for you is it 10 is it 20 is it 100 i've got probably 25 different ones okay yeah but at this point i probably have a hundred plus samples of different fragrances just to test wow. everything out there that I felt was either popular, obscure, but had high, I don't know, was highly acclaimed or well-reviewed by like the actual frag heads in the community that have, heads. I've never heard someone say that. Yeah. Heads. <laughs> um, and just a bunch of different stuff to kind of get like a more informed perspective about what's out there. And it's kind of led to the creation of, we came up with our first fragrance carbon, um, earlier, I think mid last year, and I'll have, I think 10 more coming out this wow. year. 10 different fragrances. Yeah. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. What have you learned about the fragrance business? Um, that, that hmm. you didn't expect to learn, I should say. I guess fragrance oil concentration doesn't dictate potency always. Like there are different, uh, like for example, Creed Aventus, I believe is a, like a perfume, perfume concentration. And the more oil you have in it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to perform better. And you kind of learn that there are certain fragrance DNAs that just like don't work well and will like you spray it and then becomes a skin scent shortly mm -hmm. thereafter, or some will project really aggressively and it's overkill. Mm -hmm. um, you learn a lot of stuff as you're kind of formulating and it's been fun to try and dial in what I consider to be, you know, a good date night fragrance or like, uh, you know, something that makes you smell fresh, but isn't offensive in like a gym setting, for example, yeah. like stuff like that. It's so fascinating, like getting into the fragrance business. What else? Like what else are, what else? Not even that you're launching, because I'm sure there's things you can't talk about in the setting, but that you're interested in or products that, you know, that you see value in, you know, creating in a different way from a business perspective. Through intelligent shop in particular, it's tough, dude, because I, it's very ever evolving. I don't really know where it's going to go for yeah. sure. And that's why I had such a not clear answer at the beginning. Um, <laughs> Like we, we have some other products coming out, but they are hair loss related. So I guess it's not as, uh, yeah. not as unique to talk about, but that's kind of like the extension of the fragrance line is kind of where I'm excited about it going. And, um, anything that falls into the ingestibles will probably be under gorilla mind in the future. Um, and anything health service related falls under Merrick health, even yeah. when it comes to a compounding pharmacy is something that's on my radar for either building or buying. And that's something that is a high priority as well. And above and beyond that, like I don't have a whole lot more interest and I try to stay in my domain. Yeah. So I'm not going to just sell stuff for the of sake of, you know, putting out what I think moves product. It's more yeah. like what I think has practical utility. Yeah. Would you ever get into like skincare stuff for men specifically? Yeah, or we actually have a little bit of that. We have it already. Oh, and yeah, Got we it. just sell it through the most incongruent site for skincare ever, which is Gorilla Mine. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. I, okay, I didn't know you guys had skincare. So. No, we might actually put that, I don't know, through a separate brand. Like, it is technically separate. It has a separate brand name. It just yeah. is not segregated to a separate website. It sits in this weird subsection <laughs> category of skincare on our site, and it's yeah. 
the only things I'm aware of that really move the needle, we have a hyaluronic acid serum, moisturizer, um, an exfoliating cleanser, and then we should have a sunscreen at some point that's mineral-based, but that's to be nice. determined. Got it. Yeah. So w- with Gorilla Mind, just for those who don't know, when did you initially launch Gorilla Mind? And like, what led to just the launch of that specifically and just the whole setup of launching the company? The official launch, I think, was January 2018, or it might have been December 2017. Basically, what led to it is Chris, the guy I talked about, mentor, inspiration, blueprint guy. Yep. He had a supplement company with somebody else who was in the like manosphere is what they call it. It's like the <laughs> self-improvement space for men and how they, I don't know. These were like two of the forefront guys of that, um, I don't know, niche. And they started a supplement company called uh, Red Supplements, which is it's funny. It's like red pill, like the matrix. It's yeah. like a big, you know, thing in the manosphere. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so all their products were red pills essentially <laughs> and different products under that. And I was, uh, you know, the customer service guy, social media guy, helped with formulation wow. a little bit. Um, How old were you then? 23. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. And then from there, the company didn't really blow up or anything. And Chris and that guy separated. And when Chris parted ways, he asked, Hey, do you want to start this new tropics company with me? And frankly, I liked working for Chris more than this other guy. So yeah. I, you know, went with him and then it led to the creation of gorilla mind where I made, I uh, formulated gorilla mind smooth and gorilla mind rush, which was our stimulant based nootropic formula and stim free. And then from there it kind of stemmed off into, it was originally supposed to just be a nootropics company and we had gorilla dream as well, which is a sleep enhancing formula. Um, and then from there it was kind of, okay, we should get a pre-workout. You know, at the time I thought it was actually a dumb idea. As stupid as that sounds. <laughs> but, but launching a pre-workout or? Yeah. Like I was wow. like, I was like, no, we're a new tropics company. <laughs> so yeah. eventually we came out with gorilla mode, which is a hit. And then after that, I came out with our stimulant free vasodilation focused and hyperhydration focused formula nitric. And then it just stemmed off into a whole bunch of stuff that was performance based and kind of evolved into what it is now. Wow. Yeah. What thinking and, you know, you said this earlier about you saw all these YouTubers that are so big and you were like, Oh, why would I start a YouTube channel? They're so big. I, I think about that in terms of, I don't have any experience in the supplement industry, but you walk down a, an aisle or, you know, you go online, you see the, the vast amount of supplements and it's a massive industry. What was your initial plan or just how are you going to differentiate and build a brand in the market that just has so many, not competitors, but just so many brands that are looking to capture attention and capture those, um, you know, the customers in a sense. For me at the time, I felt like there was a severe lack of transparent formulas at the time. Prop- mm-hmm. Proprietary blends were still rampant, <laughs> which is not as much the case anymore. And I yeah. think hopefully I at least had some part of that, but it's also just education of what customers want. And for me, my perspective at the time was, okay, if I'm going to make a pre-workout, which is something I buy and use and like, what would I want to see in this for it to be what I consider effective, stacked, worth the money, bang for the buck. So I made Gorilla Mode based around what I would want to see from a vasodilation perspective, hyperhydration, stimulation, mood elevation, all that kind of stuff. And at the time, there was really no formulas on the market that were using, they'd use clinical dosages, but oftentimes it was what's the minimum effective dose, not what's the max effective dose. So I dug into some literature, found, for example, we were the first company to use what is the maximum efficacious dose of L-citrulline? So, and it's funny because on our product page on Amazon, it says the only formula in the industry to have this. And it's like (laughs) 
that's such an old write-up now that a bunch of companies have done that since. Yeah. But at the time, it was like a reasonably revolutionary thing. Ali, and wow. may, maybe there were some obscure companies that I'm just unaware of that already did that. But for me, that was like, that was my idea was yeah. I, I don't even care what the other people are doing because this is what I deem yeah. to be the effective product and I would buy. So yeah. I didn't even really, I didn't have a conception of, oh, how do I differentiate myself? Like it just did it on its own. Yep. Over time, you know, s- certain companies use the same kind of, uh, you know, marketing tactics in terms of, uh, you know, transparent labeling, maximum dosages, et cetera, et cetera. But I just continue to grind out what I feel like I would buy as a consumer and it served us well. Wow. That's so awesome. I'm curious if you were to give your younger self advice, if you were to be starting Gorilla Mind today, just from what you've learned, what would that advice be and why when it comes to that, you know, younger Derek that was looking to go solve that core problem and bring something different to the market? What would you tell yourself? And maybe those that are watching this that may have an interest to not only start a business, but some, whether that's supplements or tech or just anything that they want to go do something different. What's your advice to, to your younger self? Probably question every doubt you have. For example, mm. the pre-workout, which is now, last I checked, and it fluctuates obviously, but I think we reached number two bestseller on Amazon in the country, which is wow. competing against companies that I used their product when I was a teenager. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's a big deal in my opinion. So yeah, to like stand with them who have had a decade on us is, (laughs) is wild to wrap my head around. But just a handful of years ago, I was thinking we're a nootropics company. Why would we do this? But it's just like, you know, being able to question and think outside the box, it sounds perhaps not like a practical takeaway, but oftentimes people will similar to the social media. Why would I start? Yeah. I couldn't possibly succeed given there's so many people with millions of subscribers already. If you have some sort of value to bring, there is likely an audience that will benefit from getting educated and or entertained by you, depending on what your, you know, yeah. industry or niches. Yeah. What were, what were some of your self doubts that you've had over the years that you've had to question and, you know, just change your perspective on? Will this investment pay off and be worth it? Is me going to, I don't know, uh, a position where I'm not getting a salary or whatever the best move for the longevity of the company and being able to be enterprise value minded. Like you think of a lot of these things in terms of short term financial gain versus long term potential enterprise value oftentimes entrepreneurs will face these multiple different forking roads where you could go one way or the other, and it's going to have a massive impact on your trajectory and being able to ground yourself and think, okay, what's actually most important to me in the long run? What does 65 year old Derek tell me now, given realistically, what's the smart move. And oftentimes it's investing in yourself and being confident that you're here for a reason. And if you're passionate about what you're doing, it's going to translate into success long-term and don't sell yourself short by going for the short-term gain on the monetary side. Mm, powerful. Yeah. What, where do you, I should say when you're, you know, when you say this idea of passion, you've brought it up a couple of times now, what's your thoughts on passion overall? Do you, does this come to you naturally? Do you believe passion is just something you're, you know, you, you, you experience something and you can start to go down that path and therefore passion builds within it? Or how do you define passion and how do you recommend people define it for themselves? Yeah, for me, it more so stems from, it's tough because I feel I'm ultra competitive 
and also am very interested in certain domains. And for me, the intertwinement of those two in a business capacity equals me being very passionate about how I am approaching that business and how I, how much time I dump into it and how much I care about it and the outcome. Um, it's tough, man. Like some of these things, it's hard to say they're easily learned and not inherent. Like for you, I I think some of the stuff comes with exposure and just, you know, throwing yourself out there, but it all depends on how much you want it at the end of the day too. Cause you can only convince yourself of things so much when you don't actually give a shit. Like with you, I know you're an incredibly good social networker, for example, but how (laughs) would you tell an 18 year old kid? How do you become you? I feel like that's like, maybe that wasn't inherent to you either, but it's, I guarantee there are very few people in your age bracket who have the networking and connections that you have. It's a very, very unique and rare thing, but how would you impart to somebody that, Oh yeah, just like go do that. (laughs) I think a lot of it is, you know, brain chemistry derived, but also like your intertwinement of what, I don't know, you're passionate about potentially. Yeah. I don't know. No, absolutely. And I I think it's so interesting because like for me over the years, the, this idea of connecting and, and networking um, you know, Larry King was someone I interviewed back in 2019 that he taught me so much of just my interview approach. He, he has this famous quote, it's, I've never learned something while I was talking and just emphasizing listening and staying curious about the world and about people. And I think just that simple foundational element of how to live your everyday life, to learn something from someone, what not to do, what to do is so impactful. And I think it's, it's led me to just uh, remain curious in all aspects of life and just be present in moments like this where I can just genuinely learn from people. And that compounded over time has uh, paid off in terms of just knowledge, experience, network, et cetera. How did that come to be? The Larry <laughs> King interview. Well, I mean, Arfa actually shot the interview, so it was so fun having her there. But, you know, how I met Larry King was, it was like this domino effect where, a good friend of mine, Michael Gruen, um, he invited me to this dinner after I interviewed Tillman Fertitta, the owner of uh, the Houston Rockets. Mm. And he was coming out of, coming out with a book somewhere around here. It's called Shut Up and Listen. This was back in 2019. And he invited just a handful of different YouTubers, podcasters, people that helped promote his book. Probably 30 of us at the, uh, at the Mastro's restaurant in Beverly Hills, which he owns Mastro's. And we were all going around the table, introducing ourselves, saying, oh, like, my name's this, I do this. Etc. And then when it got back to Tillman, he pointed to um, someone who was actually Kieran was there. He was sitting right next to Kieran. He's like, Chance, it was so it was so such a pleasure uh, being on your father's show today. Just wanted to say thank you so much for being here. Like, love you, love love your father, Larry, and just thanks so much for being here. And put it together as Larry King's son. And you know, for me, it wasn't like oh, I want to go meet Chance and have a Larry on the show. But I genuinely wanted to meet Chance. He was my age at the time. We were both 20, 21 years old we became genuine friends and a couple months go by. And, um, after just thinking about it, like I knew I wanted to interview Larry. I'm not the one that would say, Hey, I want to interview the father, your father. Can, can you get him to come on the show? But it was such an organic relationship where I remember asking him on Thanksgiving day or a couple weeks before. And he responded on Thanksgiving day and he was like, Hey, my, my dad said, yes, he was coming out of a stroke at the time and was feeling a little bit better. He was like, let me know when you're in LA in two weeks and we'll make it happen. I was living in Arizona at the time Mm -hmm. and we ended up doing it December 10th, 2019. And, you know, it was actually one of the last in-person physical interviews he did at his studio before he passed away a year later, which was COVID and, you know, he wasn't doing any in-person stuff. So 
definitely an impactful interview that just the dominoes unfolded in a very unique way. One of the craziest things about that to me is not even just that you interviewed Larry King, but also that somehow you were so entrenched in this stuff at 19 years old <laughs> that you were in that position to even network your way to that happening. <laughs> like, how do you even arrive where you were at 19? Because for me, like even, you know, understanding social dynamics and, you know, yeah. business, it's crazy to me that you know all the people you do at your age. <laughs> like, how did you even get to where you were at 19? Just, Well, I mean, I, I started the podcast when I was 17 and even before that. So what really got me into this whole world of podcasting, social business was um, when I was 16, I was almost paralyzed playing football. So yes. I got injured. I was diagnosed with interspinous ligament damage. So I was in a neck brace for six months, was told I could, could have been paralyzed. I could never play football again. And it just led to this deep depression of not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. I was a sophomore in high school that had these aspirations to, you know, play college lacrosse or college football. But being 5'5", five, five, you know, the, the, the cards unfolded in a, in a great way. Um, but during that six-month period, I just immersed myself in bi like business biographies, learning from different founders, and just caught the bug where six months after that, I hear about podcasting. I'm coming from a small town in Virginia where I have no network, no relation, like no relationships, no access to the business world. My parents are the least entrepreneurial, but in any sense of the world of, I just didn't grow up, didn't grow up around anything uh, or any like business minds. So I just knew that there was so much more in this world from the content I was consuming. And the podcast was that gateway initially to spark conversation. And, you know, the goal was to sit down with interesting people that were doing cool things. And it, you know, it started off as interviewing friends of mine, like Kieran, who was like one of the first 10 guests on the show and slowly but surely and through social media and reaching out through DMs and coming up with creative ways and to pitch the show, it was just a snowball effect. And I, inter I ended up interviewing 60 people in 90 days, just on a pure sprint. Wow. And from there, it was just the momentum started shifting very, very quickly. And I just doubled down. Wow. So, and that was, you know, from like 17 to 19, I think it was like 250 interviews and that compound, it just opened up a lot of doors. Are those all in video on your channel or where are those <sighs> not, old ones? Not all of the videos. A lot of them are just me on uh, either zoom or pulling up to someone's office with like a single microphone, like oh, in wow. the earliest days. Oh. Um, but, but I would say like 90% of them have all the videos and, most of them are on the channel. Oh, nice. But that's yeah, crazy, that, that's a little bit of context there. <laughs> Wild. What were you doing at 18, 19? Working uh, on a golf course and as a lifeguard and starting university. So okay. yeah, just, uh, I don't know. It's uh, nothing related to what I do now mm. in any capacity whatsoever. So it's wild though, because a lot of people will see successful individuals on social media and then think it's too late, mm. but I don't yeah. know, like a lot of people in my generation, I guess, often were doing nothing significant in teenagehood and even early 20s. Like for me, I was getting a traditional education and going to marketing classes every day and then trying to balance yeah. that with the gym and then going to work for $8 an hour at a golf course. Yeah. Like that was my life, essentially. Wow. Yeah. So when you started to have some success on, on social, building your brand, launching the companies, just what what changed for you to become that type of person in terms of the momentum, in terms of, you know, going from someone 18, 19, working these, these different jobs, creating a channel, gaining some momentum on a social level, launching these businesses, just what changed mentally and how did you, 
um, just put yourself in that position looking back? So I guess similar to how it was unfathomable to have a big YouTube channel when I started, I saw all of these people doing crazy things. Even I remember seeing uh, some of the fitness influencers would have, you know, at the time, 300, 400,000 subscribers on YouTube was astronomical and almost no one had a million subs. It was crazy yeah. to me. <laughs> and I was just thinking these numbers don't even make sense. They must have an in at YouTube or something like that. I just couldn't even wrap my head around how you arrived there. Yeah. I was like, this guy was born into <laughs> stardom somehow. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I started from zero and slowly grinded my way to, you know, 20,000 subscribers, 30,000, 40,000. Then I had a couple videos go viral or at least what viral I considered at the time, which, you know, if, if YouTube picks up something as a small creator and serves it to like a million people, that's, yeah. you know, viral, I would say. Yeah. And seeing the traction that had, I was like, oh, I'm actually capable of a viral video. That's nuts. Like I never <laughs> thought that would ever happen. And then a couple of times it happened. And at this point I thought, wow, this is actually a repeatable process and they don't just randomly. Sometimes it seems like they cherry pick random stuff and just serve it for <laughs> the sake of it. Like I yeah. have no idea why some of my videos that popped off did. Um, like for example, I did this video about egg whites and it's literally me sitting there talking about egg whites <laughs> in for eight minutes with not even 1920 by 1080 formatting. It was like a cropped oh my God. with black sides on because, You're kidding. Yeah. On a webcam. And it was, uh, very poorly executed. I was not speaking clearly or confidently. And for whatever reason, talking about egg whites blew up. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so I had a few of those videos and I thought, wow, this is actually translating to subscribership and people care about what I have to say. And this is actually something I could see growing. And, you know, for me, that was kind of the motivation I needed to double down on it and take it way more seriously and start hiring editors and yeah. figuring out how to, uh, outsource the tedious tasks that were not relevant to me putting out high value content or putting in work into formulation or whatever it is that's my highest value use of time essentially yeah so yeah and then from there it kind of all snowballed but it was kind of on the back of a few videos that really popped off that gave me the push i needed that i knew oh wow i could actually be reasonably successful on youtube yeah. which until you have that really happen to you it seems like back, I think now it's a lot easier to pop off as absurd as it sounds. It seems like it's yeah. saturated. So it's harder. I think now it's easier than ever. I've seen channels go from zero to a million in yep. less than a year, which back then was, unless you were Logan Paul or something was never going to happen. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah, like back then that was the push I needed. And I don't know as much as I would love to say, Oh yeah, I just kept persevering. Like, I guess I did persevere because yeah. I could have said, Oh, I'm not getting traction for three plus years where I had, you know, less than 15,000 subscribers. I think after three years in, Yeah. so I guess I did, but, um, having that reinforcement and kind of, uh, I don't know, positive reinforcement from the YouTube algorithm definitely helped me. And that was kind of, yeah. I think the trajectory shift where I thought, okay, wow, I can actually make a difference here. Yeah. That's awesome. It's just, and seeing the, the growth there, it's just crazy where it's like so many people, do stop and they don't even see the potential or they, they say, Oh, I've had three years here, 15,000 subscribers. And just the simple, you know, cliche thing of like, you just didn't quit. Like people always ask me like, what did you, what have you learned from all the people you've interviewed? It's very, very simple. It's just people just simply didn't quit. Yeah. Like there's no, there's nothing more to say besides they just did not quit. Simple as that. Yeah. I've seen some people <laughs> who have way less quality content and way less knowledgeable persevere just by sheer grit and yeah. like completely destroy people who I deem to be far more intelligent and educated and yeah. 
like resourceful and, or I don't know, like high quality information that I would use as a resource or whatever. Like yeah. oftentimes it is literally just the guy who works hard and you know, that's people are going to like you, you know, some people are going to like what you're doing unless you're, you know, a dickhead. Yeah. So absolutely. Well, um, last question before we wrap up here, Derek, just thinking about the future of your content businesses, everything that you're working on, what are you most excited about? And just where, what can people look forward to in terms of just the future of what you're building content wise, business wise, and everything overall? The content thing is, a. Uh, it's always difficult to balance the businesses and the content. Like right now, as we speak, I have posted a handful of videos in the past several months, which sucks, but mm. it's one of those situations where hopefully taking one step backwards, I can take two steps forward because sometimes that is a necessary, you know, uh, thing you have to do to actually get ahead. And so you're not constantly, I don't know, grinding out tedious stuff that you could yeah. otherwise delegate. So for me, I'm kind of in that process to try and automate a lot of things to get me back to that very frequent posting schedule. And I would like to tangent into more entrepreneurial focused stuff just because I feel like I have the experience to actually back it up at this point versus for the last seven years I've been doing it. Yeah. So I don't know. There's just like a lack of content from like guys like Hermosi, I think have set a great standard for people who've actually built businesses and then yep. create practical takeaways and uh, business knowledge that they can, you know, impart on people that is um, comes from a place of experience rather than a place of speculation and hype. Cause a lot of the yep. existing business education on the platform was previously how you can, you know, here's how much money I make with my photoshopped, you know, Shopify page and come buy yeah. my course, which is then what made me rich. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. So I feel like tangenting into entrepreneurial content would be worthwhile. And also just continuing down the path I have gone of continuing to educate myself and connect with high level people in the uh, medical space, um, preventative medicine space, and uh, hopefully continue to learn in the process and impart as much useful info as I can. I absolutely love that. And last thing, where's the best place for everyone watching or listening to follow you and just stay connected overall? More plates, more dates on any platforms. Some of them are more plates depending on the length of the handle. I think <laughs> you can't do certain length on certain ones. Yeah. Um, uh, Merrick Health, if you want high quality preventative medicine, high quality medical oversight with elaborate diagnostics and panels that have been audited by me and other people I deem to be high level educators and medical providers in the field. Um, who are staying up to date on all the cutting edge literature. Um, Gorilla Mine for supplements and uh, energy drinks soon. Some other cool stuff in the works. Looking forward to that. And Intelligent Shop, I guess, if you want some cool cologne <laughs> and hair yeah. loss prevention products. And Love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Derek, thank you so much for coming to the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, dude. Glad we could uh, make it happen. Absolutely. And for everyone watching or listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and I will talk to you guys soon.